we need to become customer-centric. This is not a necessity anymore, it's, it's an act of survival. A financial product or a financial service are really basic things that are the same all over the, all over the world. At the end of the day, the, the, the important part is the delivery part. That's exactly what you will need to be very, very smart and creative. Hello, and thanks for joining us on Banking Remix, the new podcast from Veritran. I'm your host, Katie Yano-Small, the founder and editor of Upana. And on this podcast, we talk to leaders in digital finance about how traditional banking is being remixed, how it's being spun together with new technologies, concepts, and data, with the aim of creating better customer experiences and more intuitive and integrated services. Today, I'm really happy to have the opportunity to speak with Ruben Galindo. Ruben is the chief executive of Capital Tech, which is a non-bank financial institution in Mexico that lends to businesses. Ruben is also the president of innovation and technology uh, at ASOFOM, which is a Mexican industry organization for non-bank lenders. Before this, Ruben was a regional director for Latin America at HSBC, um, and he also worked at Swift, where he opened the company's Mexico office. Ruben, it's a real pleasure to have you here to discuss what makes banking innovation succeed. Thank you very much, Katie, for the, for the invitation. So let's kick off. Tell me a bit about some of the initiatives that you're involved with at the moment. Uh, okay, well, that, that's tough. Uh, both sides, first, Capital Tech. Capital Tech is a digital lender here in Mexico. Uh, we have been here for 10 years. At uh, the beginning, it was a very, very traditional M- MBFI, actually. And one of my, well, my, my job for the last three years has been uh, to digitally transform this company, uh, this, this lender, this traditional lender, into a digital lender. So basically converting it into, into a fintech, uh, we can say that, although it wasn't born as digital. But, well, we have been uh, working around a lot in terms of both uh, digital transformation of processes of products and also all the cultural transformation for the for the people uh, for the employees and then later on of all the stakeholders and all the customers around us and well that that's in, that's on the side of capital tech uh, in the case of the asofom that it's uh, the association for mbfis here in mexico uh, i was asked to uh, uh, I was I, I was named. Well, I was asked to participate as the as the chairman of the uh, or the president of the innovation and technology committee some like 10, 10 months ago already. Wow, time flies. Uh, and on these uh, ten months, what we have been doing is we we are trying our best into uh, helping all these uh, small and medium and some kind of large uh, MBFIs into also digitally transform. Because what is happening in Mexico and also about uh, after the COVID-19 pan- uh, pandemic is that the customer is, is not requesting, it's actually enforcing everyone to get digital. And on this, on this side, what we are uh, challenging and helping is to find suitable sponsors, suitable uh, service providers to help these MBFIs into this new, new area, new station. Oh, well. I also I also I also mentor some fintechs here in Mexico. I, I am part of some well I am a external associate of some fintechs as well. And well that that's what I do on my professional side. <laughs> Amazing. 
Um, just to pick up on your comment just there that the, that the customers are not requesting their, they're forcing everyone to go digital. How do you see that? Like what are the, um, what are the signals or how, how are customers kind of communicating that? How do you see that playing out? That's a very good question. Uh, if we get back to 10 or 15 years ago, uh, we will see that there were some power users around or a very, I would say, power customers that will be always uh, checking reviews online of all the uh, products or services that they will be buying. So, but well, I was one of those, of course, I'm quite a geek. <laughs> so I will be uh, checking online all the stuff like that. And well, we are speaking about the first, the first, uh, well, the, the first uh, part of the century. And what has been happening after the all these 18 months that we have been uh, enclosing our, our our own walls has been that most of the usual customers that will be uh, driving and going into a bank or into an MBFI to ask for a credit card for a leasing for a mortgage, well, nowadays what they need to do is they need to do it online on an online basis. So quickly, uh, they are becoming those kind of power users that we have seen in the last 15 years, but that were the really the, uh, the, the 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 first people to enter into new product. But nowadays, what we are seeing is that 60 or 70 percent of the usual customers wants to do that. They are make, they they are checking and reviewing all the products and financial services online, and then. That that's one thing one on one side. On the other side, what we have been seeing in Mexico is a really big uh, inflow or an expansion of the fintechs, the fintech offer, not only in leasing but also in in cards, in wallets, in different uh, sides of it. So now we have a really exp uh, let's see maybe not experienced but a very power user, uh, highly informed. That what they are trying and then they are doing is that they are pushing around uh, not only to understand the offers but also to get the, the best offer around. So now the customer is the one that is driving the offer, uh, not that not not as before that usually the traditional banks and the traditional uh, financial institutions will be driving the products, the financial products and the financial offer. Now is the customer that the one that is driving it, and that's actually awesome. In my in my in my opinion, because the the customer we 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 need to become customer centric, but nowadays that the customer is the one that it's pushing us around. Well, this is not uh, this is not a necessity anymore. It's, it's an act of survival. I'm keen to drill down on that even more, but let's um <laughs> let's let's just sure. let's just help contextualize a little bit for for our listeners out there a little about your career and your background. Tell us about some of the um, some of the projects that you've been that you've been keen, that you've been most proud to work on over over your career. Well, sure. Uh, first of all, I, I I started as an entrepreneur when I was at the very end of high school, and I was an entrepreneur in terms. Of, I, I like to uh, focus my, well see myself as Michael Dell in the in the early eighties, but of course it wasn't like that. <laughs> but we I I started a very small SME of uh, manufacturing white label box. PCs and also doing some technical support and stuff like that, and I will say that for those eight years, that actually it helped to pay to pay for my uh, tuition fees for the university, and then after that, afterwards for the MBA, that was great. Uh, but the interesting part was when I came back after all these years of 
while being a very techno, techno, technological savvy uh, professional, I couldn't find a job here in Mexico. Uh, interesting, yes, because uh, even though I, I because I, I have this SME experience as an entrepreneur, and then I had a really this in, very interesting MBA. I did my MBA in, in Spain, in China, and Chile, six months on each. So I had this really huge international experience, but I couldn't find a job. And at the end of and the, the end of it, uh, HSBC were the ones that take a, uh, I will say a, a leap of faith with me, and it was great. And and on that moment, I started with the product side. And well, I coming back, I am coming back with to your question. Uh, I would say that one of the best things that uh, that we did there in HSBC was to start. Uh, looking after the, the financial products that early adopters were interested. So as an example, we were uh, looking for a check imaging uh, uh, infrastructure. So the customers could actually deposit their checks from their own offices. And, I, and let, let, let me not, not stay there, but the interesting part was looking at all those financial products and trying to bring those into Mexico and then into the customers. So to to keep building these early adopters and then to cross the chance from the product management side to the really heavy lifters uh, users, that that has been like one part of my of my career that I keep repeating my I, I keep repeating it because afterwards after HSBC when I become the the regional head of in HSBC one of the things that we were looking was that how we could uh, collaborate between countries and we could bring some products to Mexico and then we could export some financial products to Brazil or to Chile, to Argentina. And that's quite, quite, quite interesting. And I did the same thing as, as Swift, as country manager here in Mexico, because then it was uh, looking at the at the, be- at the best practices outside of, of Mexico and then trying to bring those, in, ter- in this case, it was in terms of standards, in, ter- in terms of custodies and Securities. Uh, we 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 actually brought some of the best practices around in terms of standards here in Mexico, and then it's it, it's the same thing all around. And actually, if you start thinking about the some of the fintech unicorns in Mexico, and I'm not saying that they are not they are not the best. Actually, they are they are great, but most of them, what they have been doing, like at the very beginning, great, has been first to to identify the opportunity to see who who else is tackling down that opportunity in other parts of the world and then bringing that into the into the market of course with the typical with the customization needed uh, for that but then afterwards if you keep focus on it you actually uh, become well in these cases they became a, a unicorns so well for me my career has been like identifying those opportunities outside and bringing, I would say, importing or exporting those into different areas. Well, in capital tech, we are, we are doing not, the same thing as well. <laughs> Sorry. It's not always easy to do that, right? Because there's local regulations, there's local market dynamics um, that are that are different, you know, in, the, in Mexico compared to, say, the United States or virtually any other country in the world, right? Of course, of course, that, that you, you you have different market bases, you have regulations, you have everything. But at the end of the day, a financial product or a financial service are really basic things that are the same all over the all over the world. 
A deposit is a deposit. A credit is a credit. Uh, so at the end of the day, the, the, the important part is the delivery part. So, so I will say the delivery end of it. That's exactly where you will need to be very, very smart and creative and innovate in how you change or how you uh, actually adapt that delivery into the new market uh I would say the new the new market segment that you're trying to to attain. Yes, it's difficult, but that's a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. So you mean the the way that you offer and sell and make make products accessible to your to your clients. As an example, the uh, the history of wallets in the world, and I would say electronic and electronic wallet. Well, everything started uh, first with the Oyster card, uh, the Oyster card in, in the UK. And afterwards, it, it hugely developed into the octopus card in Hong Kong, in, in, in that you, you, only, you, you only needed the, the, the octopus card to start paying on the 7-Eleven, Soxos, well, uh, all the convenience stores. And then from that, they started putting on wearables. And then, well, they, they started growing and growing and growing. And I'm speaking about something that happened 13, 15 years ago. Okay, but now the idea of the of the wallets actually the only thing that they did is that they actually uh, connected that card or that wearable with a, with a with a banking account. So, but everything has been happening on the different parts of the world, and the interesting part is who is next. One of the, the one of the examples on that are the online the online payments. So online, pay- online payments has been around for the last, well, since 1996 in Switzerland. And then in Mexico in 1998. So in Mexico, we have had, we have had online payments for 23 years. In the U.S., they still don't have an online payment. <laughs> That's just an example. And it's not bad. It's, it's a different, I, I believe that it's a very different ecosystem of the rest of the world in terms of banking industry. But then since 2015, most of the, uh, most of the countries has been heavily investing in different payments infrastructures for having online payments because they started seeing that having those kind of payments actually increase the GDP. So, well, it, it's interesting because at the end of the day, it's happening all over the world. And the, inter- the interesting part is to, to observe those trends and to try to bring those market trends into the different opportunities that each market has got. Of course, you have different things like regulation, you have customer market behavior, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you need to make payment. (laughs) You need to make a deposit. Uh, You need to uh, have an investment in some kind. So you've mentioned a lot of these trends that have um, maybe been a a while in the making, right? Digital wallets, we're talking 15, 20 years there. The pandemic, though, obviously changed a lot of things. What what was something that surprised you over the last, say, 12 months or, or, or since the onset of the pandemic? What surprised you about how digital finance has evolved or responded? Oof. Well, the interesting part was the international trade, international commerce. Well, one of the things, uh, I, I have been very surprised with different things. One of the things that has been international commerce since most of the borders were closed. So, uh, but at the uh, but also some of the markets were actually close and uh, remitted into their local markets only. And there are some countries that they were heavily uh, based on trade and international payments, international commerce. So what what we have started to see is how everyone started developing their own uh, 
it's not on only internet internet websites. It's all all their in, uh, let's say digital commerce uh, flows and digital commerce uh, processes. So and it it was it was it wasn't only local because we started seeing at least in Mexico all the all the restaurants going online with Uber Eats, Rappi, stuff like that. But also the international, uh, well, the, the, let's say the, the international commerce uh, commerces, they started to be very very active in terms of of digital selling, and it it, it was as if the borders actually didn't exist, and that, that was actually great because then suddenly you couldn't go as an example you, you couldn't cross the border to the states <laughs> to buy stuff. No, so, but you could go online, and that's so, that's one of the things that happened with the pandemic. That most of us, eighty or ninety percent of our time was on a screen, in a tablet, on a, on a phone, or in, in any place. So then, instead of going to buy something, what we needed to do is start started to see things that we could buy online. And the interesting part of it, of this is how a lot of different companies all around the world utilize those that to start selling online in terms of international trade that was a very very interesting uh, surprise for me because one thing is, is between like between within the country that's usual that's normal and of course there, there was a lot of digital transformation there but the interesting part is that you, you know you were scrolling down in instagram with Twitter or whatever, and you started seeing these ads or of brands of the in the case of Mexico from the US or from Colombia or from the UK, and you could actually start buying those without any any, any hesitation and any problem. That was a very surprising thing. Right, so it's the retail, the, the cross border retail, right? That, yeah. that really really took off. That's interesting. Um, tell me a bit about um, what you see as the challenges for financial institutions in the year ahead, in the years ahead as they as they adapt to to well as they as they execute digital transformations. What are the what are the big challenges for financial institutions that they're facing? Uh, well, that, that's a very good question. Of course, it will depend first on the size, because they and and this and this side we need to to, to divide to split between. Uh, traditional banks, traditional financial and traditional MBFIs, uh, because the, the case of the traditional banks, well, they have been investing investing huge amounts of money for the last uh, years, and they are they are still years years away of having a real real digital transformation. Also, because well, they have this uh, let's say systemic risk around, given that they own basically 80% in Mexico of the market. So for them, the, the, the big challenge will be to actually start collaborating with fintechs and to start, to start it's not only about buying fintechs and putting them on your stock. It's really about buying technology and implementing that and listening to the customer because that's also a really, really interesting thing that I am I am actually seeing that the traditional companies are not seeing. They are still behaving as if the customer doesn't knows what they want, and they are still like, a, you know, like launching different products as their their marketers and their product managers. They are just designing it from inside. 
And the important thing right now is to start listening to the customer, to start seeing how you can be more efficient, more flexible, and more quick, of course. That's for the traditional ones. For the non-traditional ones, as an example for a company like Capital Tech in this, in this case, for a digital company already, well, basically uh, with the pandemic, what we have is a level setting of everyone in the market from a very small financial institution to a very big financial institution. But then what we are also seeing is uh, we're having a lot of issues in terms of talent acquisition and talent retention. Why? Because some years ago, we were the only ones looking for data scientists, as an example, or data artists or, or UX, or UX uh, specialists. Nowadays, it's not only us, it's also the traditional banks. For in what in three to six months, what we are, start, we are going to start seeing is not is not only a, a competition within the banking industry or the financial industry. It's a competition within within really different industries that everyone is trying to understand the data around their customers and then also how they can take those opportunities in terms of 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 online uh, offline on, well digital commerce and stuff like that so we are going to start seeing a really huge competition in terms of talent one uh, that's one thing the second is also in terms of infrastructures because the infrastructure is not enough for having doing all the data analysis um I remember one day that I was in, in Berkeley, I believe, in California, and one of the teachers was saying that uh, this was in, two, two, I don't know, like five, six years ago. They were telling that uh, the technology will only support the data analysis up to 2020, 2021. So, well, but with the pandemic, <laughs> with the pandemic, basically we are five years ahead of that. So we need to be very, very specific about which are the variables that we need to understand in terms of data analysis, because basically we don't have enough uh, uh, well, uh, power, I would say technology power, in understanding all the trends that are happening. So quite a lot of challenges out there. Yeah, sounds like it. It's interesting that you think that that talent, um, that competition for talent is really going to heat up in the short term. You said three to six months. It's, um, that's imminent. It's already happening. Mm. I am, I, am, I am losing people to different industries that are not financial industries. Mm. Mm. And as for the, as for the infrastructure, um, I guess you're saying that as we generate more and more da- data, more and more data points, there's that need for like greater amounts of capacity to, to process it and analyze it and, and use it intelligently. Is that? Basic, basically, uh, if, you, if you have a PC with a, the very, very high end and last uh, last uh, processor and you connect there like instead of one or two hard drives you're connecting 10 hard drives <laughs> so that the, the, the thing is every year the technology expands in terms of uh, data analysis I will say in terms of data analysis is like one 1x so it's 100 percent more but the data that we are generating is 200 percent more. <laughs> So this is, a, this is a very interesting competition about <laughs> what's going to happen next. So taking all that into consideration and, and to go to the theme of this podcast, which is, which is remixing the bank. If you, were to, <laughs> if you were to remix a traditional bank, if you were to add in or, or take out one, one single element, what would you choose? 
Oh, for tra of traditional banking, I would say branches. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very different Mexico to the States, but um, I would say that the most important part is to listening to the customer, to making the cost, uh, and also to making the customer think that they are being important for the for the banking industry for the banking institution. And I haven't seen any bank really outside here that they are starting to think about Ruben Galindo as a person instead of as, as a number. And that's one of the things in which the fintechs have really excelled. Because perhaps it's because of the small, smaller size, of course. And also perhaps it's because they are totally designed over customer centricity. But one of the biggest things is that is that they need to start uh, getting, uh, well, showing that empathy to the customers because the competition is really high and it's going to continue increasing a lot. Uh, and then, then, then the next stage is to actually deliver a product based on the customer necessities. And the thing there is that there are other players out there that the, the most of the financial industry, most of the financial industry are not seeing. As an example, uh, Apple Pay hasn't yet arrived to Mexico. That's going to be a really big thing. Uh, or uh, let's say Facebook also, they haven't arrived. Uh, Oxo, that is one of the well the, the biggest grocery store in Mexico. They have 22, 22 or twenty five thousand uh, places here in Mexico. They uh, they bought a wallet. It's called Spin, like one or two years ago, but they have been just toying with it. So on the moment that they start really thinking about of this about business, then at that moment, then the banks are going to have a really big big problem because those uh, grocery stores or those those other uh, let's say other commerces around are going to start pushing around really heavily in terms of or of a financial offer, and, and those are the big changes that they need to be aware of it. And they need to get the customer. Uh, the customer is not going to be a customer anymore in terms of which is the interest rate that you are giving to them, or which is the color of the card, the credit card that you are giving to them. The customer is going to start changing totally their market behaviors in terms of who is going to give them the best, the best treatment around. And if you can actually excel on that on a digital basis, that actually, uh, actually is a very highly efficient and highly process-oriented, but also very empathetic way of doing it, then the customer will change absolutely into the, into different fintechs, financial institutions, or whoever is there. It's interesting that you, that you talk about um, those, those new delivery channel, channels, which are, which are kind of hovering in the background, right? Apple Pay, Facebook, OXO. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you think that branches, you know, branches are the thing to go. But what about banks' own digital delivery channels? Um, what's the future of, of them as, as we have these more sort of embedded financial services, more integrated services through, say, Apple Pay and, and, and those kinds of wallets? What is happening is that uh, some years ago we started with, uh, let's say, a small fintechs with doing only one thing at a time. So fintechs that were doing only wallets or only artificial intelligence analysis 
or only leasing. And then what we are seeing right now is that most of the fintechs has been evolving into the second or third generation of solutions in which they are mixing all these technologies together. So then you have this uh, wallet that actually can also do payments that you can do. Uh, you can also uh, perform some investments if you need. And also you perhaps you can also generate a, a credit line or, or you can get a leasing. Let's say that's a new bank, actually. So the interesting part of that, what is happening right now, is that uh, on the next stages, we're going to be seeing this collaboration on a higher extent. And it's not only fintechs buying fintechs around, but it's also uh, entrepreneurs associating with the other entrepreneurs. And that has been happening for the last two years at least. And it wasn't for surviving. It was really because they want to do something bigger. And that's something that it's that it's not happening on the banking side. All right, and then let's um, let's go to our final question, which is to to look at the future. You know, the the long term future of, of financial services. How do you see the next generation, our kids, when they get to our age? How are they going to be managing their money? How how will the financial services world look in um, in, in a generation's time? Well, the interesting part is that in, so, in, some, in some cases, it's already happening in some, in some places around the world. Uh, there, there, are, there are, let's say, well, not children, but very young people uh, that are reaching the, uh, the, legal, the legal age, that they are starting to have all, all their banking uh, or financials in simply a wallet. Why? Because that's something for them that it's... Uh, that it's not because it's cool. It's really because it's it's something quite efficient, and because for them they have been already uh, playing with different, let's say, with different online games and stuff like that, in which they need, they know that they can actually have savings, they can actually pay for stuff, stuff like that. And and what is happening in different countries, as Singapore, as Hong Kong, and other places, highly developed, high, highly developed, is that. They have these wallets, and actually, that the wallet is is something virtual totally. They have it on their phones, on their wearables, and with that, they are they are, they are actually performing all the banking operations that they need to do, if they need to do something. Uh, speaking about the next generation, I believe it's not about the next generation; it's about the next ten years. What we are starting to see is that uh, the traditional banks. Are going to start, but they will need totally to change totally their scope. Why? Because uh, branches are. Uh, the, I would say that the last of the generation that they need branches that that has cost, that customer need. Well, it's going to end. Uh, most of the countries, and I mean the central banks, are trying to are trying heavily to stop using physical paper, physical money, and also. What we're to, we're going to start seeing is that physical money is going to uh, be a part of the past, of course. Uh, there will be, of course, some some co- some countries that they will need to start to keep utilizing money. But perhaps, and this is more on a on a, on a challenge on an economic economic basis. But we're going to start seeing perhaps is that some countries more underdeveloped, uh, they, they are going to start using only the U.S. dollar or the Chinese yuan, and I mean. The physical bills instead of issuing their own money, and we have seen that in in, in Latin America in some countries, El Salvador, uh, I believe Nicaragua, Panama, 
they 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 don't have they, they don't have well they they do have their money but they don't utilize it so we're going to start seeing that um, of course cross border cross border transactions cross border international payments all that stuff that's on the past it's going to be only one single let's say one single account that you can utilize in different currencies all over the place without any problem a blockchain is going to be a huge part of that it's already happening i believe that blockchain even though it has been there for some years we haven't been we haven't seen a little or a taste of how much is going to change all the infrastructure around us so well of course uh, crypto cryptocurrencies are going to stay there we know that uh, the interesting part is how the uh, different countries and central banks are going to start adopting that about current, uh, cryptocurrencies. There are lots of, lots of different uh, uh, types of cryptocurrencies already outside there for different necessities. And what we're going to see is a standardization in those kind of cryptocurrencies, of course. So it's going to be very, very interesting. I don't know. I, I sure am quite... Is eager to start seeing all that yeah 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 that's gonna be a fascinating fascinating few years ahead look Ruben, thank you so much for your time this has been a really interesting conversation um thank you very much for for taking the time to to speak with me for for this podcast uh, thank you Cathy, for the very very interesting questions thanks for joining us today for this episode of banking remix by veritran be sure to subscribe to the series in Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud so you'll be the first to hear the next interview. Until then, keep up with the latest in digital finance on VNext. That's Veritrans blog, where the team discusses news and trends in banking transformation. Don't miss it. Head over to veritran.com blog. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Banking Remix Insights.